0: Now, brothers and sisters, it's time to open up God's Word together. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Once again, in 1 Corinthians, today in chapter 5, and we will cover the whole chapter today. 1 Corinthians 5 is only 13 verses long, so I thought it would be appropriate to cover this whole chapter as it has to deal with one specific topic altogether in this one chapter, 1 Corinthians 5. Today we're talking about church discipline. Church discipline, and every time... I read about church discipline in Scripture, whether it's from 1 Corinthians 5 or from another passage that we will be examining also this morning. I always think of this story. In Kearney, Missouri, there's a church called the First Baptist Church, which their claim to fame, so to speak, is that they were the home church to the notorious outlaw Jesse James during his life. Now, in February of 1866... Jesse James was a member in good standing at this First Baptist Church when he led the first daylight bank robbery in the history of the United States in a town called Liberty, Missouri, which was only about 10 miles away from that church. Now, the church had a business meeting afterward. Elders, deacons, ministers, you know. And the the church minutes record the deliberations from that meeting. And as they were talking, the church minutes record that Deliberations to discipline Jesse James, to remove him from membership because everyone knew what he did, those deliberations were complicated by the concern that if they removed him from membership, he might burn down the building. That's in the minutes. Now, everyone in the community knew that Jesse James was staying at his mother's farm. And his mother was actually a Sunday school teacher at the time. So in that same meeting, the minutes record two deacons were selected to go confront Jesse James on this issue according to the guidelines of Matthew 18. Now, the minutes of the next business meeting report that for one reason or another, the deacons never could find the time to visit the notorious bandit. But then, watch this, and this is amazing, then the minutes report that Jesse James himself arrived at the meeting and asked to speak. And wishing to cause no embarrassment to the congregation, he requested his name be removed from the role and the church obliged. Now, you might say Jesse James didn't understand many things about following Jesus, but he did understand church discipline and church membership. Now, that's a humorous, lighthearted story here. But as we come to 1 Corinthians 5, you'll see that it's a heavy text. This is weighty. This is not a topic that we take lightly. Indeed, this is a very serious issue, especially as it pertains to this situation that Paul's going to be talking about here in our chapter. So let's read it together. 1 Corinthians 5, I'll start in verse 1, I'm reading down to verse 13. Paul writes, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who has did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that... His spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Okay, so let's go back over what's happening here in this situation for a moment. There is a man in the Corinthian church living in scandalous sin that everyone knows about, and the Corinthians are apparently doing nothing about it. Paul says they are arrogant when they should be mourning He's living in this scandalous sin. And Paul tells them, when they are assembled together, they are to remove the man from among them. To remove this man from their church. Now, the big question, I think, that comes up when we read a text like this, especially with the way that we understand church today, is how could a church ever remove someone? How could a church ever do this? I mean, think about it. The church, of all places in the world, is supposed to be the one place where everyone is welcome. The one place where no one is turned away, right? The church is supposed to be the one place where we do not make people leave because of who they are. Because they're not like us, or because they don't fit in, right? The church is the one place that's not supposed to be a clique, where we put people out of our group because they're different. So how could a church ever remove someone? Well, it's important for us to note this morning. As Paul talks about it here, and as we see this throughout the Bible, this is not banning someone from attending a worship service. Here at Columbia Christian, and in many other churches, we want anybody to come to our worship services. If someone is living in blatant sin, that's obviously displeasing to the Lord, We want them to come. We want them to attend our worship services. We want them to sit here and hear the word, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We want everybody, anybody to be here in these worship services. We will never turn someone away from wanting to come to a worship service unless they're they're threatening to physically harm someone, right? And so it's not about banning someone from attending a worship service. This is not a church hiring bouncers and forcibly removing someone from the church building. What it is, is removing someone from membership. Removing someone from church membership. And to to talk about church discipline, we need to take a step back first and think about what is church membership, because it doesn't make sense. This whole text doesn't make sense. If you don't have a biblical understanding of church membership. Now look down at verses 12 and 13 with me. Do you notice how Paul says there are outsiders and insiders? There are those outside the church and there are those inside the church. There's an actual line of demarcation to where you can tell who is in and who is out. Right? This is not click-ish. This is not like, oh, you're in the in crowd or you're not in the in crowd. No, this is a line of membership, church membership, to where we know who our members are, The church leadership knows who we are responsible for caring for spiritually. And we know those who are not church members. And there's a difference there. Later in 1 Corinthians, Lord willing, we'll come to to this in a later sermon uh, on this series. But 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, Paul says, "...now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it." And through places like that and places like Hebrews 13... We know that church membership, according to the Bible, is when we voluntarily submit ourselves to a local body of Christ and to their elders and their pastors. We open ourselves up for spiritual care and accountability. And we commit ourselves to the body. So when when you become a member here, not only are you submitting to the authority of the elders here at this church, these particular elders, but you're committing yourself to this particular body of Christ. Not just the body of Christ in general all over the world. But you're saying, these are my brothers and sisters. These are the ones I'm responsible to help and to care for, spiritually and physically. And they are responsible to help and care for me. Right? This is church membership. It's a voluntary covenant that we're entering into with one another. The church leadership, committing to spiritually care for you. And then all of us as members voluntarily opening ourselves up to that care and to the accountability of the leadership, helping us follow Jesus. The shepherds of the church are holding us accountable and helping us follow Jesus. And so a church cannot spiritually care for someone who is living in unrepentant sin. What do I mean by that, unrepentant? Well, repenting means forsaking, changing, turning around, right? We repent of our sins. None of us is perfect. None of us lives a life where we never sin, but we repent of those sins. We don't want to sin. We don't embrace it. We don't love it. We don't cherish it. We're trying to walk away from sin. We're trying to rid our lives of sin. And so the church cannot spiritually care for someone who is living in unrepentant sin. Spiritual care means helping someone follow Jesus. And so a person who's living in unrepentant sin, they don't care about it. They don't want to turn from it. This person is clearly not following Jesus. A base requirement for following Christ and for having fellowship with one another and other believers is repentance. Repentance. Now I want you to see from our text, look at verses six and seven. In verses six and seven, we see that the health, And the purity of the entire body is at stake when something like this is going on. The health and the purity of the entire body is at stake here. Verse 6, he says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? He's talking about yeast and a lump of dough here. If you're cooking unleavened bread, later he's going to mention the Passover. Jews at the Passover had to eat unleavened bread. That was God's instructions to them. Bread made without yeast. Well, if you've got a lump of dough and you want to make unleavened bread, if any yeast gets in that dough, even in just a little corner, it's going to infect the whole thing. The whole lump of dough gets infected with yeast. And so you better cut that out and remove it or it's going to infect the whole thing. And so Paul says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Verse 7, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. And then he mentions Christ, our Passover lamb. Think about this. What if I had brain cancer? And then I just said to myself, well, it's only in my brain. It's not going to affect the rest of my body. It's just going to affect my brain, so I'm just going to leave it alone. just going to be fine with that because the rest of my body will be fine. Well, that would be extremely foolish, right? Because that brain cancer is going to spread. It's going to eventually affect the rest of my body. It makes no sense to make peace with it and leave it there, right? I've got to do the hard work of getting rid of that. I've got to submit to brain surgery, To get that cancer out, otherwise it will affect my entire body and eventually kill me. You don't make peace with cancer and let it stay. And in the same way, we don't make peace with this kind of sin in the church. This is something the church must do out of love for the body as a whole. There will be times when a church must put someone out of their membership. Out of love for the entire body as a whole. We hope this never has to happen. We hope it never comes to this, but it might. And the Lord has been gracious enough to give us a blueprint for what this looks like in Scripture, if indeed a church does go through this. Remember Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount? If your right hand causes you to sin, what do you do? You cut it off, because it's better to go into heaven with one hand than go to hell with two. Well, if I'm going to lose my right hand, what just happened to me? My hand has been dis- what? Dismembered. dismembered. And just in the same way as a member of our body can be taken off, the church is a body, the body of Christ, and there are times when the church must remove a member from that body for the sake of the purity and the holiness of the church as a whole. You see, the church, every church, is an outpost of God's kingdom here on earth. The church is an outpost of God's kingdom here on earth. You might call it an embassy. You know how in a foreign land, if, if there's a U.S. embassy in another country, if you can make it to that U.S. embassy, you're technically on U.S. soil right there. Right? That's the, the way the rules of embassies work. And the laws of the United States apply within that embassy right there, even though they don't apply anywhere else. And... That embassy and the ambassadors there are required to put off an air of this is the United States. They're they're required to show people what the United States is. To be a reflection of the United States in that foreign land. And in the same way the church is an embassy of God's kingdom here on earth. And so we must reflect God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit here on earth. And the Corinthian church, Paul says, by by doing nothing about this sin, is making a statement that they're okay with it. They're not reflecting the holiness and the purity of God to the rest of the world. The church is an embassy. And so, brothers and sisters, you want to be a part of a church that would be willing to remove someone from their membership. You want to be part of a church like that. Why? Because a church like that is a church that cares about its members, that cares enough about its members to be in their business spiritually, that cares enough about its members to know what's going on, and that has a standard of holiness and purity that they're not willing to compromise on. You don't want a church. You don't want a church that will just always tell you everything is fine. You don't want a church where you can come And sit in the pews and leave and all the while be living in sin and no one knows about it or no one cares. You don't want a church like that. That's not love. That's not care. You don't want a church that will tolerate scandalous, unrepentant sin. And you don't want a church that has no standard of holiness. You want a church that will speak the truth to you in love. That's what you want. Jesus, in the book of Revelation, speaks to seven different churches and tells them different things that they need to be thinking about. And to the church at Thyatira in Revelation chapter 2, he says this. Revelation 2.20, Jesus says, But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. What he had against them was they tolerated it. right? They had no concern for their purity and their holiness as a church. And so we see from verses 6 and 7, the health and the purity of the church as a whole is at stake here. But what else is at stake? Verse 5, the eternity of the individual who is in sin is at stake. Look at verse 5 with me. Verse 5, Paul says, when they're assembled together, they are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now, when he says, deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, he doesn't mean, put this man out there so Satan can kill him. That's not what destruction of the flesh means. Throughout scripture, you'll see that the word flesh is a word that Paul and other writers use to talk about our sinful nature. The flesh is the sinful nature. All of us, if we're in Christ, we want our sinful nature destroyed, right? We want that. We want to have our flesh destroyed. Paul says, don't live according to the flesh. If you do, you will die. So the flesh is our sinful nature. So he says, deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Now, what does deliver to Satan mean? Well, it means put the man outside of the protection of, of the community, the protection of church membership. See, in in the Old Testament, when the Israelites were camping around one another, and they were wandering in the wilderness, there was a defined camp. And then there was outside the camp. And every now and then they had to put someone outside the camp, which was a serious thing. Because in the wilderness, that means they were outside of the protection of the people and the, the form of civilization that they had at that time. Right? When you were outside the camp, you didn't have the protection of being around everyone else. And it's a wilderness. It's a dangerous place. And in the same way, we sometimes might have to put someone outside of the spiritual protection, of the fellowship, of membership in the church. Deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. But what's the ultimate goal here? Verse 5. See the ultimate goal. So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. See, we're doing this out of love for someone. We hope it never comes to this, right? We hope it never comes to this, that we would have to put someone out of church membership. But if we do so, we do so with tears. We do so because we love that person, and ultimately we want to see them saved. And God's word tells us that if you do this, there's a possibility that this could lead them to a conviction of their sin, a repentance and a return and a restoration, and eventually having their soul saved. I think if you read on in 2 Corinthians, you'll see in chapter 2 that this man actually was restored, that he was put out of fellowship and then welcomed back in at a later time when he was repentant. It worked. But this is the idea. It's love for this person. It's concern for their eternity. Right? You don't want a, a church that will let you live in sin or not even know that you're living in sin and you just go about your day all the while comfortably on your way to hell. You don't want a church like that. You want a church that cares enough about you to confront and speak the truth in love. If there really is a final judgment and someone is living in unrepentant sin, what kind of church would fail to warn that person and confront them? Now, It's really important when we talk about church discipline for us also to see Jesus' words on this subject. And they come in Matthew chapter 18. Now, these are going to be up on the screen behind me. If you'd like to turn in your own copy of Scripture, you can, but you don't have to. They'll be right up here. But Jesus speaks about church discipline in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 15. So follow along as I read Jesus' words about this. Jesus gives us a couple of other details that we don't see in this particular context in 1 Corinthians 5. Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So Jesus outlines this step-by-step process. Now there's a difference here in what Jesus is talking about and this situation here in 1 Corinthians 5. Because in 1 Corinthians 5, the whole church already knows what's going on. The whole church already knows it. So they don't have to bring it in front of the church. The problem is the church wasn't doing anything about it, wasn't saying anything about it. But with Jesus, notice where he starts. He starts, if your brother sins against you, you go and, and you confront him one-on-one. Church, that's our, that's our calling as church members, to love one another enough to speak the truth in love. If your brother or sister sins against you, you don't go talk about them behind their back. You don't go to somebody else and gossip about what happened to you and how you were wronged and how horrible they are you go to them, and you love them enough, and you have enough t- integrity and courage to sit down across from them and to say, you've wronged me. You've hurt me. What can we do about this? We, we have the responsibility to do that. And we also see, as Jesus takes us through this step-by-step process, sometimes you might go to someone, and you might say, you've wronged me, and then after the conversation, you might realize, wait a second, it's not what I thought right? Maybe I'm the one who's in the wrong. Maybe I've misinterpreted something. Maybe I've been overly sensitive, right? And so even after you go one-on-one, he says, bring one or two others along with you, because maybe those other two won't agree with you. Or after those other two come along, maybe everyone will be in agreement. Yes, this person is in sin and not repenting, refusing to repent. And we hope it never comes to this, But after one or two others come along, if they still refuse to listen to them, Jesus says, you tell it to the church. We never want this to happen. We never want to get to the point to where we have to tell someone's unrepentant sin to the entire church and then let the church have an opportunity, everybody in the church, to go to them. But listen to this. Jesus says this, Matthew 18. He says it right after his teaching of a good shepherd, how the good shepherd leaves the 99 sheep who are right there with him to go get the one who's wandering off. Right, This is trying to bring back someone who is wandering away from the Lord. Everybody in the church should want that. This is not, you don't fit in here, so let's kick you out. This is not, nobody gets along with you. Your personality is not what we like around here, so let's make sure you're out of the church not like that it's love it's care it's concern you see someone walking away from the lord and because you love them because we've committed to loving one another in church membership we're going to go after that person we're going to try to bring them back because their soul is at stake here and unfortunately there might be a time where you tell it to the church the church confronts they still don't listen and then you have to put them out of the church Jesus says, let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. We don't ever want it to come to this, but we're so thankful that God has given us blueprints in scripture to show us what this looks like if indeed we have this happen. Church, it is our responsibility to love one another enough to confront each other when one of us is clearly in sin. This is part of what it means to be the body of Christ. We go after one another. When one of us starts straying from the Lord, if I start living in sin, I hope you love me enough to confront me, to tell me about it, and to come after me. We hope it never comes to the point to where it has to be brought before the church. But if it gets to that point, it's already clear someone is willingly walking away from Christ. Now, listen: we would never put someone out of membership for something that might or might not be sin. This is not like, hey, hey, I think you're a selfish person, so we're going to put you out of the church. No, it's, it's not that. It's something that everyone recognizes is blatant, unrepentant sin. And we would never put someone out of membership who is repenting of sin and struggling with it. right? This is unrepentant sin. They're not struggling with it. They don't want to struggle. It only gets to this point when someone who calls themselves a Christian, who is a member of the church, is clearly in sin and has been confronted numerous times and then continues to refuse to repent and forsake that sin. And at that point, the church is essentially saying, this person is willingly walking away from Christ. And the last thing that we can do for them is to do what Paul says, to put them out so that maybe maybe they will be brought back to repentance and maybe... The act of putting them out will will shock them into being convicted of their sin. And maybe their soul will be saved in the day of our Lord. Jesus and Paul say it is our duty to remove such a person from among us with the hopes that this action will one day lead them to repentance. This is a hard word, church. It's something that hardly ever happens, so I think most of us are unfamiliar with this aspect of being the church in a biblical way, but this is part of being a biblical church. We must be willing to do this, and you want to be a part of a church that's willing to do this because you want to be a part of a church that cares for its members spiritually. Now, finally, before we end today, I want you to see that this is not some ancillary matter. This is not some secondary matter. Jesus died for stuff like this. Jesus died for the purity of, of the church. Listen to Paul's words from Ephesians chapter 5. He's talking about husbands and wives, but listen for the language of Jesus and the church here. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her. By the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. All of that that I just read is dependent on Jesus dying for the church and giving himself up for her, Paul said. Jesus died for the purity of the church. This was important enough for Jesus to give his life for it. And so as his church, we must take it seriously. All of us, every single one of us, is responsible for the way the church responds to sin. When when Paul says, you guys are arrogant. You're not doing anything about this. Do you think only the leaders are culpable there? Only the leaders are responsible? No, it's the entire church. It's all the membership. All of us are responsible for the way the church responds to sin. We want to respond to sin with a seriousness about the purity of the church, but with a love for each person, right? A love where we go after someone who sees to be straying. Church discipline should be done with tears. It should be done with tears. If we ever reach the point where we have to remove someone from membership, we should have tears. We should ache for what is going on. Not be zealous or joyful in any way, or arrogant. Each one of us has a responsibility to love our brothers and sisters enough to speak the truth in love. And each one of us also has the responsibility to walk with Christ, to repent of our sins, to live pure and holy lives as part of the body and bride of Christ. Each one of us is responsible for this this morning. Here in just a moment, we're going to have a time of silent prayer. During this time of silent prayer each week, we ask that you respond to the word of the Lord, to whatever he's put on your heart. And so we're going to give you time to pray silently right now in response to what you just heard. After a few moments of that, we'll come back and then we'll have a time of public response, where anyone who wants to respond to this publicly in a public way can. But before that, let's give just a few minutes for private prayer and private response to whatever God's laying on your heart.